exile. 13th century from the old French exilia, banish, expel, drive off. 12th century late Latin exilia from the Latin exilium to take out, to drive, to drive out the one who is driven out. Sarah sends Hagar and her son out into the desert. She exiles them. They are banished, banished, late 14th century, banishing to condemn to condemn someone by proclamation or edict to leave the country out, out, out. Story as old as time. Jealousy, fear, rage, out, out, out. We don't want the other to be near us, so we send them away, we send them out. Desert, island, detention, tower, up you go, up you go. I've been thinking a lot about towers this week. Towers searing into the sky, towers flying up and tumbling down. Build it up, build it up, build it higher. The original move to build up, up, up came with the pharaohs and was perhaps more to do with keeping people out than exiling people away. But just the same, it was about separation. But high-rise buildings like the one in London that now looks like a charred eucalypt struck by lightning, high-rise housing, which was originally designed by an architect who hoped to lift some child out of the squalor of the slums and tenements and to place them into a box of air. High-rise housing has been for many years a way to separate the haves and the have-nots. Australian architect Kerry Clare has been one of many warning that high-rise living is harming Australians' urban fabric by isolating people from street and community life. According to Clare, the more that people are living in high-rise buildings, the more that people are living in social and economic silos. Silos where the chance of an encounter on the street or at the front door or under a blue sky is severely compromised. And as way back as 1961, writer Jane Jacobs famously wrote a book condemning high-rise living, especially when used as a low-income housing solution. She writes, The corridors of the usual high-rise, low-income housing building are like corridors in a bad dream. Creepily lit, narrow, smelly, blind. They feel like traps, and they are, and so are the elevators that lead to them. This was way back in 1961. And what has just happened in London? What has just happened in 2017? The social isolation that Clare and Jacobs both associated with high-rise living is often linked to depression, to poor psychological and physical health, and to adults, children, and older people feeling that they are locked away, that they are exiled, that they are banished, which in a way they are. They are separated by cement skin and metal bone and stigma. Oh, the shame. The shame to be in social housing. You must be, you must be lazy or a loser or a, or a down and out. You must be the slave or the hooker or the whore or the hager. Out, out, out. And this separation means that we, we the clean, we the elect, we the righteous, we the Sarah with our perfect miracle child, we can be separated from those that we would see as the other. Reverend Al Barrett, an Anglican priest who lives in a tower on a public housing estate in East Birmingham, wrote that the Grenfell Tower tragedy is about many things. 
It is about builders and property management companies and local councils and national government and political and economic systems and our all-pervasive, taken-for-granted world views. But, he writes, for those of us who are Christians, it must also be about us and about how we respond as Christians to this tragedy and also what questions we ask about why it happened. Questions like, like why? Why were the voices of the Grenfell Tower residents not heard before? Why were their cries for safety checks not listened to? Why, when only seven months earlier, when a catastrophic fire engulfed an apartment building in West London, leaving at least 79 people missing and presumed dead, and hundreds more homeless, why was nothing done to check the other estates? And why, when the residents in the public housing project predicted that their warnings about safety and fire hazards would only be paid attention to if a huge disaster happened, why was nothing done. The fire that broke out just after midnight in the 24-storey public housing Grenfell Tower rapidly spread through the building. People ran and fell and leapt out of windows, downstairs. Little ones were rescued and little ones were lost. One mother saving five children belonging to her neighbour then turned around to find that her own four-year-old daughter was gone. Babies were dropped and caught from windows. Families rang to say goodbye as their tiny rooms were filled with fire. And now a country which has been gripped by week after week of terrorist attacks is left reeling at a disaster born in some ways of their own apathy. And yet this country has now turned up in droves. This same country has turned up to do what they can to help. In the words of local doctor Mohamahadi Kaki, the monstrosity of the event has compelled me to volunteer. And it turned out that everyone else in London had the same feeling. People of all ages, all colours, all religions, we are doing what we can, organising donations, stock checking, forming distribution lines, working together for something greater. Some are lifting, some are advising, some are sorting, some are fasting, some are praying, and more are arriving every day. Humanity is winning. The day after the tragedy, many shelters reported that they no longer needed donations and many communities turned to their local food bank and homeless shelters as a way to help those less fortunate. In the story from our reading, it is God in the form of angels who helps poor Hagar and her son Ishmael to find water. In the story from Grenfell, we could say that it is God in the form of people who is helping the mothers and the fathers and the daughters and the grandparents to get what they need as the agony of grief sears their hearts. The question of why Sarah sent Hagar into the desert or why we build shoddy towers in the sky for our poor or why at the end of this refugee week we are still locking people up on Manus and Nauru. Well, that's another question altogether. And the answer to it lies somewhere, somewhere in the ancient reptilian part of our brain. The part which says there isn't enough. There's, there's, there's not enough. There's not enough love. There's not enough land. There's not enough. So get out, out, out. 
And yet the God who breathed life to Hagar is the same God who offers life to us all and is the same God that we recognize in our harvest offering of today. An offering that originated in the Celtic path of Thanksgiving creation from its many gifts. A festival which was originally called Lusana and was named after the Celtic god Lu, Lu who was the god of the sun and of light and of harvest. This festival which was adopted by the early Christians and which was about recognizing that God's gifts are so vast, they're so vast and overflowing that we must share them with each other and with those in need. And the food that we gather here at our church all year round, but especially on this day, goes to our local housing commission flats in Carlton. More boxes of air, just like Grenfell, filled with people from all over the world, just like Grenfell. And so we send this harvest with our love. And as a sign of reconciliation to those who feel exiled, who feel banished, and who feel forgotten.